With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on today? Hope the day is treating you well. Wanted to let you know the podcast is proudly brought to you by Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation. If you need your home spray foamed, be sure to check out msfi.ca today. Drew and the crew over at Muskoka are waiting for you to help you with your spray foam needs. Be sure to check out msfi.ca today. We're also proudly brought to you by Boone Contracting. They pride themselves on excellent customer service and quality workmanship. They specialize in every aspect of contracting, residential or commercial, from complete custom renovations, decks, fencing and more. Be sure to check out boonecontracting.ca. Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. The man, the myth, the legend that is Paul Brombe. <laughs> I didn't know you were in Halifax. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I didn't know that, but I thought you were in Toronto for whatever reason. Probably because you're so Leafs heavy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, obviously, I'm dire Leafs fan. I mean, I was born in Newmarket, yeah. raised in Toronto. So, I mean, I moved here in 03, okay. so... Uh, the, the ties run deep head. on either side now, I guess. Well, I guess I'm the opposite. Yeah, I <laughs> raised in Halifax, moved here in 2000. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I Nothing went back in. I went back in uh, 07 to 08 for a year to try to make another run at it. And when I was a little older, and I said, "Nah, not for me." Yeah. No, I would move home. I, I had always thought I would move home by now. Actually, it's funny that I'm still here, but. Uh, yeah, definitely still feels like home. Well, I mean, you're still there because obviously who you are and what you do. <laughs> there's there's well, the no job, there's no yeah, big the scene for that here. Keeps, definitely keeps me here, that's for sure. <laughs> well, I, I, I could do what I do back uh, back east, unless it was uh, unless it completely changed. It was something else within uh, the television or broadcast production type thing. Well, you know, we only need to get an NHL team, an NBA team, you know, and the whole nine yards, and then we'll then we'll yeah. be caught up and ready to go. There'll be something here for you. Yeah, that'll be good. Hey, listen, we got the Thunderbirds. We're making we're making headway. Yes, that's a good start. It's a it's a toe in the water at least. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for taking the time today. I know you're super busy, but uh, you know, we've talked on Twitter for like two years, so I figured, hey, reach out and have a little chat while all this COVID stuff's going on, and, and pick your brain for a little bit and have some fun. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Yeah, all right. So, I mean, I gotta ask, where did you get started? How did you get started in TV, and how did you get to be the Paul Bromby we all know now? Um, that's that's kind of a funny story. I was. Um... I, I just finished uh, at St. Mary's University, and it was in the fall. I was working at the lower deck, and uh, I just I was just like felt like I needed to do something. Felt like I needed to um, get away, I guess. And uh, so I reached out to a friend's brother who brought me here to Toronto to work for his company doing web design. And uh, so I worked for a year doing sales for a web design company. 
And then I just got to a point where that also felt, uh, it just didn't feel right. I, I just felt like I needed to do something else. So I was watching TV one night and I was watching Sportsnet and I said, you know what, I would love to work in sports. And so I, the next morning I woke up and this is how long ago this was, I pulled out the phone book and started looking <laughs> for, uh, for numbers of television spaces. So I found TSN, the score at Sportsnet. I called TSN, um, they were not hiring called uh, the score they were not hiring and then i called uh and then i called sportsnet and the uh, receptionist put me through to the um hiring manager and uh he gave me a sports quiz for about um i guess he would have given me a sports quiz probably about 25 to 30 questions and uh i did really well on it and by before the interview was even over on the phone he had never met me he said well you got the job bring you uh, come in in two weeks and bring your resume Jesus, so, it's that uh, easy. That would never happen this day and age, and uh, I was very lucky. Um, but it was a it was an entry level job. We were paid to clip games, um, so you would just walk in, uh, have your research for the game, and, and do the game, and uh, create a highlight pack, and that's where I started. So basically, you started off like Steve Dangle, clipping games, and away you went. But you just didn't have the successful podcast to go with it. Funny enough, Steve Dangle, I, one of the first times he was on any of our uh, broadcasts was I put him on a Leafs show. I pulled one of his clips. He was talking about Tank Nation, and I put it on our Leafs pregame. And Kipper went absolutely bananas on him, ripped him apart. And uh, so I reached out to him on Twitter. I said, listen, you know, sorry about that. Kipper, was, you know, he's kind of just... He's, he isn't very serious about it. He means what he says, but he's not meaning to rip you and call you a loser. And uh, Dangle and Mrs. Dangle both loved it. And that kind of started a thing where I was putting him on leaf shows, pregame shows, uh, and having him on. And it's kind of not saying that it started, but it definitely, uh, he definitely made waves when we started putting him on the leaf broadcast. He had already had a very successful online presence, but uh, pretty cool to see how far he's come. He's done really well. Oh yeah, I know they've done awesome, and it's somebody you know you listen to, and you you get you get a lot of fun out of them, right? So I mean, and that's what we need nowadays is is more energy. I find instead of just sitting behind a desk and spitting out stats or stuff like that, a little bit of energy, a little bit of a combativeness is never bad. Yeah, I, I think the uh, sports world needs that fan side of things. I think far too long we've had just former players, uh, journalists, you know, and that that was their opinion, and that was it. Um, and I think the fans are as educated in many ways and more educated in a lot of ways uh, and bring that extra passion that, you know, some of us in the media don't really have for our team because we kind of have to be unbiased. Although there are times, trust me, that we cheer for our own teams. I think we're all Raptors fans, yep. whether we're hockey, baseball, or basketball. <laughs> but that's one of those teams. And the Jays as well. I think those are the teams that we can all kind of get together and cheer for as well. Well, for you and your career, I mean, you've had your fingerprints on a whole lot of different things. What is your favorite project you got to work with and see kind of organically grow into something more? That's a great question. I would say a couple of things. There have been some really big moments that I've felt pretty good about, but I think starting a show called NBA XL back in, it was 2002 or three. Uh, myself, uh, Cabral Richards, and Namageni, Kevin Foley, um, and uh, Travis Belcourt was our executive producer. And it was just a show about basketball, culture, hip-hop, clothing, 
everything that kind of is around the culture of basketball. And it was such a fun ride for two years. We did some amazing interviews. I think the biggest compliment we used to get was, wow, your show looks like it's American. And I think that was more, there, there really was a separation between how Canadian TV and American TV looked back then. It, yep. it isn't so much now. Um, but that was a really fun project. I, I grew so much. I learned how to tell stories, do features, be organized, set up interviews, everything you need to know to kind of be successful, especially storytelling, I learned there. And myself and Tabby and uh, Kevin Foley, we were kind of producers, associate producers. We did all the kind of interviews and features. And we were very competitive, which kind of was a, a cool way to start my career where people were pushing you past what you actually thought you could do. Um, so that was one project. I think when we um, got the national rights and started working on hockey, um, having an opportunity to work with the Hockey Night in Canada crew, um, going on rows, doing some big shows with them, the All-Star Game, the Outdoor Classic, uh, and then doing you know pre-games for Hockey Night in Canada during the playoffs. They just have a certain level of professionalism that I, I think um, they're, they've been doing it for so long. The brand was so strong. To be introduced to that was absolutely incredible. I, again, another part where I felt like I took a huge step and learned so much from so many great people. Uh, Brian Spear, uh, you know, uh, Shirley Najak, Kathy Broderick. There's just so many people I can mention that uh, were staples and had worked with, you know, Hockey in Canada for many, many years that I learned a ton from. And that's where I love when I feel like I'm being challenged and being pushed beyond what I actually think I could do. That's where I think uh, in anything is where the growth is. Well, it's definitely where the growth is. And they always say, you know, when you start to get to that area where you're a little bit uncomfortable is where the creative juices start to flow because you try to figure it out. You try to navigate the path and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But for you so far, it seems like it's working out beautifully. Well, I guess. <laughs> I, who knows? I think I, I think I, if one thing I know, I put my, uh, I definitely put my heart into it. I'm not afraid to fail. I think, uh, and I've failed many, many, many times. You know, whether it's in my career and life, and I think uh, that not being afraid to fail and not being afraid to put myself out there has definitely helped me. Whether that's created success or not, I think I'm pretty lucky to work in sports and work with the amazing people I work with. I think it's, uh, you know, I think more so it's felt like a job in the last couple of years because it's been more challenging in the role that I have of managing. But um, for the most part, I'd say 99% of the time, it's never felt like a job. It's always, uh, it's always felt like a creative environment that uh, has just been amazing. What does Chris Johnson always say, right? I mean, you got the keys to the candy store, so to speak, you know, or the toy store is what he says. And, you know, you're there, you get to play every day. And, you know, a lot of people would love to be in your shoes. So why not love it, right? I mean, if you don't love what yeah. you do, then maybe it's not for you. But they say, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. So you get going that way. And I mean, that's what I love about doing podcasts. I mean, shut the truck down at lunch break and talk to awesome people. So I get that little avenue myself. So I kind of see a little bit of it. Yeah, I mean, we all need a project or something that we're passionate about, whether it is going to be our, our you know, major job or the job that we do or our career. Um, we, if it's not our career, we need an outlet that we're passionate about. And uh, this has definitely given me my passion. I think playing sports was an escape for me when I was younger and my teammates and became my brothers and my coaches became my kind of role models. So I've always kind of been in that environment where there's been structure and a team oriented type um, environment. So I think for me, that's been is pretty much the same in my career as it was growing up playing sports. 
Well, for you, I mean, you just mentioned having the team around you and different people you're working with. I got to ask, who was one person that you worked with so far that you thought was going to be difficult to work with that was just a breeze? That's another good question. Um, who I thought was going to be difficult to work with but was just a breeze. So I, I think the first person that jumps into my mind would be Rob McLean. I, uh, I, I know he demands perfection, and he really, like if you saw the work that he puts in, I think a lot of people just think these guys just show up and talk. Like, a, you know, even a Tim and Sid, like people just think, oh, they just talk. You have no idea the amount of research those guys put in. Like, it's really impressive. I mean, from I remember working the World Cup of Hockey and being on set with Ron, and we were on set at 1 p.m. for 7 o'clock games, and he's there taking notes and researching. Um, so I think I was intimidated when I first started working with him. And as a producer, it does take time for, you know, your on-air talent to trust you. It really does. It's, it's, uh, but when you do find that kind of trust, it's, it's a really cool thing. I think, um, Jeff Merrick and I, when we did this five o'clock show, uh, Saturday at five o'clock, kind of the pre pregame show and leading into hockey night, we found, a, it was PJ stock, um, Jeff Merrick and John Chan. I think we found the groove, the three of us and the APs, and, and, and we found that kind of magic where it was just so much fun, but you had that trust and bond that you get, you know, with teams. And that's when you're really being creative. So I think working with Ron, to get back to that, I was really intimidated. I knew he was going to be hard on me, but he he was not really hard on you. He just demanded to be at your absolute best all the time. And uh, it, again, pushed me further than I probably thought I could go and he's uh he's just a complete pro and unbelievable at his job well I mean you watch Ron McLean and you talk about the preparation you know you go into either hometown hockey or hockey night in Canada and the little details about the towns they're going to or where the player's from or his mom and dad or whatever it is he's got that at his fingertips and it's coming off the top of his head just like he's you know seen it a thousand times so definitely that preparation needs to be there and no they don't just go in and you know wing it obviously I mean if anybody thinks that I mean go sit in the chair for five minutes and try it I think you'll be falling over your own words very quickly so no to watch the preparation and things like that even from guys like Tim and Sid or anybody who does anything that involves talking you have to research who you're talking to or what you're talking about otherwise no one's going to listen to you no you're right Uh, and people you know I the one thing I love Twitter, but the the thing that drives me absolutely bananas about Twitter is everybody's an expert on everything. And <laughs> I, I always say, you know, give your just sit there and record yourself and talk about your favorite team for a minute and see if you don't stumble over your words. And I guarantee ninety nine percent of the population will. Um, it's it's a difficult difficult job. I've never wanted to be on camera. I have a face for radio anyway, but I definitely uh, I know how hard it is, and I've seen it on a day to day basis. And I have a lot of respect for the uh, on air people. Now they can be a big pain in the ass. But, uh, <laughs> that was going to be the flip side of my question. I was going to ask yeah. who is the uh, person you thought might be the easiest, and then the biggest pain in the ass. But we'll get to that in a minute. Oh man, that might be tough. I might lose some friends. But uh, no, I think. Uh, you know what? I will. I will say this guy, Cabby. Cabby comes across as being like this fun, happy-go-lucky guy, but he is an absolute perfectionist, and he's harder on himself than he is on anybody else. So when I first started working, I was like, "Oh, we're just gonna have a blast and joke and uh, shoot the shit." But he, um, he, man, he put the hours in. He put so much pressure on me early in my career because, you know, you 
I'm just used to working like an eight-hour day. He was working 12, 14-hour days every day of the week. And kind of like you you feel I'm leaving, and he's still there shot listing and editing. And I'm just like, man, this guy needs to slow down. He's I'm going to burn out. But um, So I, I don't know if it was more difficult, but he definitely was more challenging than I expected. Well, again, nothing wrong with that. Both you said with Ron and now with Cabby on both sides of the coin, you know, someone you thought would be difficult, a little bit easier. But, I mean, still, driving you to be better than, you know, you think you can be and then pushing you to that next level, that's what you need to do. And that's what also keeps you engaged and interested in things, too. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, anybody that's being challenging or difficult um, usually are doing it for all the right reasons, to be quite honest. They want to be the best. They want to have the best show. They want to have the best content. And if you're not bringing it to the level that it needs to be, they're going to push you. And... I would say I'm very much the same in a control room um, where I've been, you know, a yeller, an asshole, but it, I get caught up in the moment and kind of go back to those athlete days where it's just I want to win badly and want to be the best. Not Definitely things have changed. That's that kind of uh, Mike Keenan, Bobby Knight attitude <laughs> doesn't fly anymore. Can't kick the back of the chair anymore, eh? <laughs> yeah, you can't throw pens. You have to learn how to control yourself and, and expect and demand things of people without being, you know, an asshole or yelling or raising yeah. your voice and uh it's just the world's changed and, and people evolve and it's definitely um it's it's changed the world's changed well speaking of the world change i mean the sports world came to a halt with covid19 how difficult is it right now trying to drum up anything for sports but just getting things together i mean i spoke with jd bunkus not too long ago and he said you know try to fill three hours of a sports talk show when you have no sports to talk about he says it becomes one of the hardest things for you. What goes through your mind through this situation right now, and and trying to get things you know properly on air? Well, uh, early on, I think our challenge was was filling hours of, of grids of a broadcast on on television, and a lot of that became you know older games and cutting down games, and then we kind of got into developing some really cool, um, you know, second you know, second window or whatever you want to call it, viewers, like, so our watch parties around some of the big games. Um, and it's just become really cool, to be honest. I think a lot of us were pushed out of our comfort zone. I mean, I'm, I've been a lot of broadcast in my um, career, and now it's become digital and been pushed to a lot of online content, uh, helping create online content. Um, just in, in following the lead of other people that had a little more expertise in that area. So that's, to me, has been, again, a huge challenge and a huge challenge for all of us. We've all been like, man, like we were, it was a huge curveball. We didn't, it wasn't like we saw sports ending coming, right? <laughs> we thought no. maybe something would be tweaked or less fans and there was something, anything, but we didn't think it was just everything in the world would be shut down. So I think still trying to be creative, still trying to build content for, uh, for people to consume in a, when there's no sports being played is actually more challenging than when sports is being played. And I think what we'll all take from it is we'll be a lot better at our jobs when, when sports is back. Uh, you'll see so many different... I think it's pushed a lot of us, whether us, other networks, uh, competitive networks, it's really pushed us forward to be more creative and think of better ways to engage fans. And, uh, you know, from a fan experience, I don't think you could uh, get much better than that. We'll talk about fan experience in a second here with the league trying to come back, but... I want to ask you, you're a basketball kind of guy from what I've seen. Um, when the NBA, that night, when you had the announcement from the uh, the on-court broadcaster or the PA announcer saying, uh, 
hey, you know, the game's done, you know, go home. There's n- nothing serious has happened, but you need to leave the arena. And they shut down the NBA that night, basically almost with a tweet. I'm wondering what went through your mind. What was your first thought? Well, I was in the newsroom. This this was pretty much when I realized it was very serious, whether I think any of us knew it, we realized. Like, we kind of, so the news came out, and we were kind of just, you know, oh, my goodness, Rudy Gobert, what an idiot. Yeah. Um, then we uh, Then we kind of went into action. Then we were also... So we had a couple people in the newsroom who had just done some Raptors media, like scrums with Coach Nick Nurse and some other players. And then we were kind of like, we didn't know what the you know what the virus was, how it spread. So we had somebody sitting in the newsroom with a bunch of people there. We kind of were like, oh my god! Like we started kind of just jumping into action. And Ivanka Osmak is sitting there; she's nine months pregnant. So my first initial like thought is, oh my goodness, we. We probably have to do something here. So we just all kind of jumped into action covering the story, but also being very serious about what was going on in our own environments and how it might affect some of the people in the newsroom. So we it really changed our world that day. Luckily, everyone was fine. You know, everything was fine. But we, we went into a process of, of really, um, you know, social distancing right there, like in the moment before we kind of were aware of it. So it was really interesting, and, and it was uh, scary and kind of put us uh, into a mindset a lot before a lot of people were at that mindset, I think. You know, I, you look at it, and instantly, you know, the thoughts come rushing back of, you see that, and then you see the NHL the next day do the same thing. Um, you know, I was waiting for, and I had already done my little prediction season video for the Nashville Predators versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, all excited to release it, get it up there, and have fun with it. And then you see the bag sitting in Toronto for Nashville, uh, but no players. And then you're waiting for the announcement. Then the announcement basically comes through Elliot Friedman, and then the NHL sends out an, an official you know, word. And you're sitting there, and you're looking at it like, okay, how long is this going to be? Like, what, What's the severity of this? And now we are where we are. And you look at the leagues now wanting to come back maybe a neutral site or figure out how to do it maybe in different four different arenas or four different cities or however they want. And not only are you kind of getting pushback from fans a little bit, even though we're excited and we want to see this, you're also getting pushback from NBA players and NHL players now saying they may not be comfortable to do so. I'm wondering, Paul, what camp are you in? Do you think that they should try to come back now or should they wait a little bit longer before bringing teams into an area, bringing in hotel staff, maintenance staff, you know, you have to have chefs. You have to have all these things come in to make this a viable thing. I'm wondering what your thoughts are. It's a really, it's a tough question where I stand because obviously I want sports to come back yesterday. Yep. <laughs> I mean, this is our livelihood. This is our jobs. This is what, and also I think, man, I think we all need an escape right now. Yeah. But I also think this is the time to trust the health professionals. Um, we have to at this point. It's just, we just really do. So until health professionals are okay with everything, I'm okay with staying home and, uh, and being inside and doing my job the best I can from where I'm at and dealing with it. Because I, I think man, there's been so many lives lost and, and, yeah. and, you know, the elderly are really vulnerable. There's a lot of vulnerable people out there. And, you know, I think we need to consider the people and the risk of lives lost over anything at all. Well, I want to ask you as well before I know you have to get going at a conference call coming up yourself, so I don't want to keep you too too much longer, but 
the NHL is looking at some sort of play-in or some sort of way to um, get more teams involved in it. Um, I've asked this question to multiple people, and I want to get your take. Do you think it should be cut and dry right now? If you're in the playoffs, you're in, and roll with those teams to kind of wrap it up and get next season on the roll. Or are you more excited for a kind of play in something fresh and new? I think, and, and this is probably when I said Jeff Merrick and I have kind of a bond when we work together. I think I'm like, Jeff, I just like throw it all out the window. Let's make it new. And, and I, I would say every team should make the playoffs. And then after that, I think every team goes into a draft. You're crazy. Um, I think it's just start fresh. I also think I would be okay with pushing seasons back a little bit, um, like the NBA starting on Christmas Day uh, and going to maybe the end of June, and the NHL kind of in a similar window, but maybe the NHL starts a little bit beforehand. I, I think we should look at everything possible to make change for the better, and, and at the end of the day, it should be the fans' experience that is uh, optimized and that, you know, those changes. But I think if we've waited this long. I think every team should have an equal chance to win. I think you just start, uh, you know, you have a finish off your regular season, but everybody makes the playoffs. And then that finish of the regular season is just kind of a almost like a preseason. Well, you know, it would be cool to see in some sort of play in, you know, big bracket tournament as a Maple Leaf fan. I'm happy that they're in right now. So, uh, you know, I'm in the camp of if you're in, you're in. And it would be cool to see the Leafs who, if this comes back, you know, they always start out in October as that run-and-gun kind of team, scoring all kinds of goals, outscoring their opponents. So if they can do that for a couple of rounds of the playoffs, who knows? And maybe they'll win the Cup with no parade and no fans. Wouldn't it be so Toronto? Oh, man. You know, the one thing I will say, and I know you're a Leafs fan, I think the one thing that killed them this year was injuries. And I think this time off would really help well, them and a lot of teams. Um, I mean, I wouldn't also mind if maybe you did 16 teams, 1 through 16, East-West. Like, maybe it is a little bit out there to have every team make it. I do think the Leafs would have an advantage because of their youth. I yep. don't think a lot of those guys are going to get out of shape. I think, you know, and as an older guy, I know when things get older, it's harder to get back into shape in those uh, after those off seasons. So I know what it's like, and I think the younger guys have an advantage. And I think that's where the Leafs will have an advantage. Well, I hope they do have an advantage. The last thing I want to leave you with is we were talking about fan experience and basically with these Leafs coming back, and there are going to be no fans. What is your thought, and I proposed this a few times, I don't know who else has, but sort of fans getting a virtual ticket from the team they cheer for, so you kind of purchase it for whatever the price may be, and you get added into an audio kind of queue, so you're at the game, sort of speak, but you're not really there, but you can cheer and everybody's voice gets heard, you know, for when the goals are scored, the hits are happening, or whatever, for basketball, football, you name it, but you buy that virtual ticket so you can have the fan experience still there, and the players can still feed off the emotion wonder what your thoughts are on something like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's so many things on the table right now that I wouldn't even be surprised if that's what their <laughs> thought was. Um, you know, maybe you get to put some sort of digital camera in your seat if you're a season ticket holder so you have the same view. Um, I, I don't know. I think anything's on the table. I also know as a former player, like when you're, and this is this will sound funny, but a lot of times when you're playing, and I, and I never played at, at that level, but I played at a fairly high level, you really tune out the fans as much as people think the fans affect games, you really tune it out. like, And, and you're just focused on what's going on in the game. So I don't think the, the players will find 
find a huge difference in a lot of it. I mean, basketball is a bit different, but hockey, you know, hockey isn't a fan where the where the the noise in the buildings affect the play as much. I don't think. I think that uh, you know maybe sometimes after a big hit or on the power play or something it affects it a little bit. Or if a team gets on a roll, basketball is different. A game of momentums and swings, and the, and they definitely feed off those crowd. But at the same time, guys like LeBron and, and those elite players, they're not they're not getting extra juice from the fans. So I think from a fan's perspective, yeah, it's going to suck not being in the arenas. But I think the level of play is going to be uh, pretty much the same. Well, I mean, Le- the <laughs> LeBron was one of those players that said, you know, that he wouldn't play without the fans yeah. in the building, though. So, I mean, you know, he yeah, said he wouldn't play to an empty yeah, room. I know he said that, but I can guarantee it won't change how he plays. <laughs> He's as competitive as anybody, and, like, he would go as hard in a scrimmage as he would in a game full of fans. But I know what he's saying. He plays for the fans. And, I mean, there's some owners that don't want to do that as well because they're going to lose the revenue. Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of factors. Carolina's owner it came out and said, you know, this isn't, we're playing to have fans in the building, not just, uh, you know, a virtual reality. Yeah, sort of speak like playing uh, playing the video games. But, uh, I mean, the test balloon for everyone is going to be on the 9th of May, and I think it's going to be the UFC for UFC 249, bringing in all those fighters, because they're going to have to test all those fighters and make sure that event goes off without a hitch and make sure that on the other side of the event that there's no new coronavirus cases. So I think that is a test balloon each league will look at and they'll watch what testing and everything was implemented and how it all plays out from there. Yeah. I mean, I just hope we can get back to some type of normalcy at yep. some point. Um, <laughs> and like I said, as long as, uh, as the proper, you know, medical people are involved and everything is the way it should be. And I think, yeah, great. Look, and, and I do think whether it's, you know, no matter what sport, I think it's going to be up to the medical experts to decide when we can start moving back to normal. Well, hopefully we move back to normal sooner than later so we can get back on to having sports back on to having wicked broadcasts put on by people like yourself. Paul, I want to thank you very much for taking the time. I know you are busy, but you took some time today and I really appreciate it. No problem. This is my lunch break, so we're good. I, <laughs> I'm in likewise, I man. You, yeah, I appreciate you having me on, and uh, all the best, and good luck with everything, and uh, thank you. Not a worries, Paul. We'll have a good day. We'll talk to you soon. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That is mega producer for Sportsnet, Paul Bromby. You heard all the projects he's had his fingers on. Definitely getting the hockey deal was huge for them, working with Hockey Night in Canada. You heard about Ron McLean and Cabby, different people working with different kind of expectations and how pushing yourself to be a better version of yourself is always a good thing. Get out of that element that you're comfortable in. Get uncomfortable. Get creative. Hey, guys, thanks for tuning in to Offside today. We'll be back again. Take her easy. That's Offside for now. Thank you.